everyone. It's the Tim Show. Joined with John Snyder for the Tim and John Show. It's been a little while since the last time we had a show. Uh, I've got a lot of things going on in the background right now. Well, right now in the background, I've got the beautiful West Palm Beach little intercoastal canal behind me, as you guys can see for your viewing pleasure. Uh, but yeah, so I'm actually like in the process right now of trying to create a crypto-only investment firm. And so that's taking up some time as well as, uh, you know, just doing regular uh, business stuff. So thank you everyone out there who's been keeping busy. And thank you for everyone who's been wanting more Tim and John shows. But uh, yeah, it's been too long since I've talked to my good friend, John, at least on air. And uh, I think today a good place to start would probably be interest rates. I know we started last time. Uh, we had did a video. We had talked about the ten-year Treasury was getting a little, but was right around 1.5 last time. Right now, as we're looking at it, I uh, should have had it pulled up. But I think it's like 1.62, 1.63. Yeah, 1.63. 1.63. Here's the screen. So. so, as you remember, we did talk about as interest rates start getting above 1.5. That's really sort of that you know flashing yellow, you know, getting into that danger zone. And then really when you're getting you know 1.75 to 2, that's when the, the danger zone starts going from maybe yellow to getting pinkish. And then I think once we get over two, then that's going to be where things are flashing red. And so you know, you can get this whole phony fake economy, have things going when interest rates are you know near zero, but you know, they've gone up quite a bit, especially on the 10-year, which is sort of the benchmark uh treasury. Now we also have you know the overnight lending rates or the repo rates, another benchmark that is widely commented on, but we will actually, we've got a lot of information on that uh, coming up. So I know what a sexy topic to talk about is the overnight lending rates and <laughs> SLR rates and all sorts of other things of that nature. But what you've got a lot of comments by Paul. I mean, he's made a lot of comments too about Bitcoin too recently, but we'll get to that. But Paul has made a lot of comments about how, you know, they're not going to do different types of yield, yield uh, curve control and how they're not going to uh, you know, target certain interest rates on a 10-year, which basically leads me to believe that that's exactly what they're going to do. And so I think because they want inflation to run hotter, they want it to run higher. I mean, even if they really wanted it to run higher, they could just accurately count the inflation price. I mean, that's that's for one. They do everything they can to rig those numbers. But the real thing is they are trapped. There's absolutely no way they can ever effectively actually raise rates because when you have the, the entire Ponzi scheme economy that is predicated on basically having to issue more and more and more debt, which the money is backed by debt or the currency is backed by debt. So for this huge cycle of having to get deeper and deeper into the hole. And so that's why you know a lot of the inflation to me is actually in the financial assets, it's in things like Bitcoin, it's in things like now we're seeing oil starting to move. It's in things like lumber pricing. It's in things that retirees and my clients want to buy. That's where all the inflation is. So it might not be in, you know, little gizmos and little, uh, you know, the, the phone I'm talking into now and things like that. But, you know, it is in everything else. So, John, so what are you seeing when it comes to interest rates? And, and is it, you know, is the 10 year more in your mind or is the repo market more in your mind? What, what are you uh, what are you seeing out there? Well, hey, <clears throat> so what uh, like, let's just go straight to the website here uh, of the Federal Reserve. And as you can see here. Uh, they're actually buying on the longer range. Like this is a 20-year bond here, that the 20 to 30-year uh, bond. Um, and then, like, if you go down there, so they're actually like doing some of it, not on a not on a big scale yet at all. Uh, but they are, as you can see here, they are they are purchasing, you know, 1.73 billion, 1. Point something billion. Uh, so they are purchasing bonds on the longer range. Even this is the 15th of March here. Uh, but not as Which I said. That is unusual. Yeah. 
That is unusual for them. And, and even yeah. when Donald Trump was uh, running for president the first time in, in 2016, he was saying, oh, what an idiot that Obama was for having all these short-term bonds. And then what did Trump and Mnuchin do? Uh, they went and they actually shortened the the uh, average maturity. I don't know what the average maturity is, but the thing is, it's not very long. It's like two to five years, somewhere in that range. And so, you know, the fact that the government can't even lend money out, borrow money at 30 years because they can't afford the incremental difference. But this seems to be a deviation from that. And now that they are uh, buying some of those longer term bonds, which, you know, from a financial standpoint would seem to be the smarter thing to do. Uh, but maybe that's because there's not really a huge discrepancy between maybe the 10 year and where the 20 year is. Yeah, no, uh, what's happening is that they're basically, you know, doing uh, not yield control, curve uh, control on a big scale whatsoever, but they're actually purchasing debt that are longer, longer terms, which is, you know, in the 20 year range. As you, uh, Let me share the screen here so we could actually see. Um, yeah, so here, like the 20-year term, uh, you know, on 30-year term, uh, this is the yield curve itself here. Uh, as you can see, <laughs> look at the lower range here. Like you're lo uh, looking at like 0 0.01 uh, for the one month. And and if we actually go over to the, uh, let's see, you now the overnight rate, uh, which uh, it was actually George Gammon that uh, pointed this out first, but uh, he was saying that, oh, you know, it's uh, going negative. Like it's a repo market uh, uh, lending is in the negative territory. And and sure enough, if you look at the actual best rates that you're getting here, uh, they have turned now fully negative for a whole week, basically. Uh, and uh, you can see here, there was a tiny little bit of blips uh, before, but now basically, and you can see there's, you know, uh, over overnight here, there's, basically anywhere from you know 850 to 920 billion uh, dollars that are getting moved in the overnight uh, markets so you've seen you know the moves here down to the negative territory so it's very interesting to watch that uh, and see what's happening there and and you know meanwhile Jerome Powell has been out talking a lot lately uh, about different things he's he's talked about Bitcoin he mentioned Bitcoin the other day. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I find it very interesting to hear that he was actually saying that Bitcoin uh, is a replacement for gold, basically. And then he ended up saying that uh, Bitcoin is not gold. Like it, it was basically like he was saying two things, two total opposite things in the same uh, damn conversation when you listen to him. I did uh, see that. And yeah. the thing is, I mean, I do agree with him that Bitcoin has turned into digital gold and yeah. it's turned into a better form of gold than even gold, in my opinion. And, and nowadays you're seeing, you know, even more sophisticated people, smarter people out there who are uh, starting to realize that in the investment world. I mean, I'm sort of seeing it at the ground floor, the retail level of different investors who are coming to me with, uh, you know, these are not your typical Bitcoin investors who are coming to me uh, interested more in the space. But, you know, ideally, the money should be something that's hard. The money should be something that is backed by something. And so if gold is, uh, you know, Bitcoin is a better version of gold than gold. Then why does that mean that Bitcoin can't be a good form of money? And, and maybe Bitcoin, to a great extent, is not a good form of currency. And, you know, that's probably changed like things like, like lightning, not, not necessarily the world's you know greatest fan of the lightning network as, but that's a whole other, uh, whole other topic. And I do, I'm actually in the process now, I started, I had this going when I uh, left from Arizona down to uh, Florida. And it's funny because before that, the week before that I was in, I was in Texas. So here I am at like all the uh, freedom places, you know, between Florida, and Texas, 
and Arizona. And I will say I've got to give Arizona the edge in the, when it comes to the uh, different freedom categories. Like I don't really see people around here walking around without masks really in most of the stores. And, and now it's going to be like localized and highly specific. And, you know, there's places in Texas that weren't great for when it came to masks. And then there's some places that were amazing, like like Fredericksburg, Texas. So I'll give a shout out to Fredericksburg that when we we're rolling through there, that, that like no one in there was wearing well, masks. That was that was awesome. Yeah, it's individual choice. Isn't that funny how that works, Tim? Uh, how how easy that is. I was actually listening to uh, who is a Governor Noam of uh, South uh, Dakota, and, and she was talking about in her in a speech, uh, and she was saying that you know individual freedom is is key, and you know to have the individuals making their own choices. So I was like, what? <laughs> you know, can you, yeah, do you so say I that? Break, <laughs> so I did break my uh, eight eight over eight month streak of wearing a mask to go on the plane. And so I wore an N100 <laughs> gas mask and with a COVID-1984 shirt. And I do have video of it. In case that, not that anybody is doubting me because, I mean, I'm always... No, we saw the picture, so it was it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> and, and actually, the TSA guy mentioned some sort of... Uh, he basically referred to this whole thing as nonsense. And there was a guy in the plane who, uh, you know, he also, you know, gave me a little fist bump and liked it. I mean, like the, one of the, uh, one of the uh, airplane attendant people... And then, and then, of course, so here I am, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is the best thing possible. Not to start a little deviation here, but I'm like, this is the perfect thing. we got to spice things up. We're talking about really boring stuff, so let's have spice it up with some stories. So I'm going to sit down and on Southwest where you get to pick your own seat. And so there was, I think, 50 open spots. I'm like, oh, no one's going to sit next to me looking like an idiot here with the N100 mask and like the full get up and that COVID-1984 shirt. And all of a sudden there's some maybe 25, 26 year old girl who sits down next to me. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like, I thought this is the perfect get up. And so I go to take off my mask, like the, the one that looked ridiculous. Cause I wouldn't, I wasn't gonna be able to breathe in that thing the entire way. So I then put on like some mask my dad got me this summertime that I never wore. And, uh, and the girl opens up, opens up a book and I peer over it and I see the words right hand path and I'm thinking to myself well I know left hand path is like the devil and there's a lot of uh you know occultic things with that sort of terminology and then the book closes over like a minute later and it's the satanic bible so of course you know I somehow attracted a lady that was reading the satanic bible next to me but then she fell asleep like two seconds later so I did want to see if I could like engage in some sort of conversation with her but I'm like yeah that's what the N100 mask attracts somebody with the uh satanic bible but you know probably just someone that was confused and uh trying to appear but you know I don't someone's like oh man I hope you didn't put a hex in you I'm like well she was only on page one of the satanic bible so I'm not really too uh too worried about her putting a hex on me from from that perspective <laughs> but in terms of yeah putting a hex I mean let's even get into like what so a repo rate is so you got some banks that let's say have you know 10% in reserves, some banks that have uh, you know, let's say let's say one bank has eleven percent in reserves, one bank has nine percent in reserves, need to have ten, which now I don't even know if they even need to have any money in reserves now. But let's say they, historically you'd have closer to 10% reserves. And so the bank that had nine would borrow from the bank that had eleven, then it will square up and they'd have ten. And so now it's basically saying that the bank that would have nine percent in reserves would get paid by the other bank to, to borrow money from them. But technically, it's not because in actuality, they don't actually go to the Federal Reserve to borrow to borrow uh, money. So that is the so the repo rate. And, and I may correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, historically, they didn't go to the banks. They didn't go to the Fed because that was sort of like putting a scarlet letter on yourself. And if you guys go back two years ago, what really happened was, uh, you know, it was what, September 17th, 2018. 
you had the overwrite night repo rate for banks charging other banks was shot up to 10%. And why that's important is they could have went to each other and, and gotten money for, you know, I forgot what it was at the time, like 1.5% was at the highest that, that it was at, at at the time. And so they could have borrowed money from the Fed at 1.5 or right around there, maybe, maybe it was a little more than that, but they chose to borrow money from each other at 10 to not expose everything. And that's when all of a sudden we had the multi-trillion dollar repos and anyone can basically go back to all the shows that John and I did right around that time to yeah. basically timestamp this in history to see what was going on. But uh, but yeah, what, what are we taking a look at there? Now, uh, what we're looking at is actually the list of a globally systemically important banks by the Financial Stability Board. And this is kind of the capital buffers that we're talking about because we're, we're actually turning towards uh, what is called, let me let me just get the right name for it here, just one second. It's called a su supplement, <laughs> sorry, the supplementary uh, leverage ratio, the SLR, uh, which is actually running out on March 31st. So what I looked at, Tim, is I uh, did a little bit of research and I found out that uh, this was back, you know, on April 1st, 2020. And as you can see here, uh, the, uh, the change would temporarily decrease tier one capital requirements of holding uh, companies uh, companies by approximately 2% in aggregate. aggregate. Uh, and it says also the uh, hold, uh, if it requires them to hold minimum ratio of 3% measured against uh, their total leverage exposure without uh, stringent uh, requirements for the largest and most systemically, systemic financial institutions. So these are the most systemic, oh, wrong one, most systemic. Uh, so what does it look like? So this is where to, so from the bank's perspective, what does it mean if it does expire? What does it mean if it doesn't expire and, and is extended out? Like what's the, sort of the implications of that? So what I think it is like, uh, I might be a little bit wrong on this, but from what I've read, it, it seems like it's actually the, uh, the requirements of, uh, as it says here, additional uh, capital buffers. So here you can see the different tiers. Uh, uh, you know, of the importance of banks like uh, JP Morgan was all the way alone up here last. So the year before in 20, no, 2019. Uh, so they actually dropped down in requirements. So here you can see the reserve, uh, like the additional capital buffers needed. 2% uh, for Citi, HSBC and JP Morgan. And 1.5 for bank. So does this America. mean that yeah. essentially that this, if this were to expire, that this would then unlock like tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of extra capital that these banks now would no longer have to have in special reserves to then. Uh, no, they would have the to get market. more. From what I learned, they, oh, they would more. have to get more oh, so uh, because they actually uh, decrease. Yeah, they decrease the capital requirements. Um, so they actually would need to get back to you know uh, more higher levels, and these are the international levels. Oh, so so the uh, yeah. so the levels were were reduced, so the requirements yeah. were reduced temporarily, and then now they're being yeah to make it easy. again. Yeah, because then that way it said in the article here that they could actually lend more uh, to you know banks uh, and people in need. I think uh, this is yeah. all. I think this is all leading to a problem reaction solution where. What they what they know is that when the rates do get over two percent, that that's sort of that you know danger zone. We're not the only ones that know this in the world, and so I think now the average person doesn't know this, and so they're going to wait till it gets over two. Then maybe the stock market drops ten percent, and then maybe it drops twelve or fifteen, and then Paul comes out to you know save the day. And so the thing is, if if he were to just to 
you know, be a hero in quotes here for everyone that's listening to us. <laughs> what would, you know, because you get guys like Ben Bernanke, who what they write books on this, they called, uh, what was his book? The Courage to Act or some crap like that. And so, you know, when you get someone uh, like Paul, they, I think they're waiting for the excuse to have people beg for more, um, more basically intervention. And so if the market's going down and things are going bad, and you get, you throw up, you know, two or three days of really bad headlines and all of a sudden, you know, the Fed comes in to have another, you know, $6 trillion rescue plan where they pay for Biden's $4 trillion plan. That's also supposedly going to be raising taxes on some people as well. And then, you know, you wait for that, you wait for that reaction. And then all of a sudden now you've got carte blanche authority to start printing money again when you said you weren't. And then they use that to then target yield curve control. And they then maybe start targeting a sub 1% 10-year treasury. And, and they start buying up 10-year treasuries to artificially manipulate that market. Uh, and I don't even think that this is, and the thing is, I'm saying this like as a prediction, but I almost don't even feel like it is a prediction because I feel like it's so obvious that, well, I mean, it's like, I'm going to go outside later today uh, on the beach and I'm going to get hot when it's 80 something degrees out and I might get a tan. Like, 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 I'm not predicting anything. Like, it's like yeah. this is like more than likely what is going to happen. Yeah, it's pretty I mean, obvious. No, t- Tim, this I gotta share this because, like, talking about yield curve control, I thought this chart, this chart is actually amazing. By the way, uh, somebody shared it on LinkedIn. I had to, uh, I think it was Tavi Costa, one of the biggest traders out there, uh, but he shared a fantastic. This is chart. all very positive news, uh, long term for Bitcoin. Everything we're saying though, right now. Uh, oh, hundred percent. You know, the more money that slushes out in the market, the cheaper money gets. The the more money is gonna. Uh, actually, currency is going to come out into the markets. As you can see here, this is actually this is very interesting because this is a seven. No, no, no pun, no pun intended. But no pun intended either with a hundred percent because yeah. you know if they keep doing this, it could go up more than a hundred percent. And uh, I, I still think it's going to be over a hundred thousand price target end of year. Start start with that. Yeah, I like I said, you know, one hundred fifty to three hundred because I'm not sure you know how much money, how much currency is going to pile into it because uh, it, it's. You know, we can't predict the future. Ford, unfortunately. I mean, Biden's got a four. What they they're proposing a four trillion dollar, uh, you know, infrastructure plan, which doesn't surprise me. Which is why I moved some client investments to infrastructure, yeah. uh, right as that capital siege was going down. And I'll say siege and hyperbolic uh, air quotes over here, but yeah, and that's the thing. You can't fight. You know, the the Federal Reserve or any central bank when they uh, and the government is starting to print currency out of thin air and start slushing around. You just gotta go with the flow, basically, and go into assets and Bitcoin and and now, of course, uh, there's gonna be a big boom in uh, infrastructure, you know, uh, related companies and corporations. So that's gonna be, you know, an interesting bet uh, coming up. Uh, that's of course our my opinion. It's not. You know, financial advice coming from me, but uh, I just want to share this. You know, going back to the chart here, Tim, because this is a 700-year chart of of debt. You know, how how much is actually, uh, and if you could actually see, uh, you know, the the annual uh, real rate trend is per per annum. Uh, no, what is it here? Uh, yeah, you could actually see so. Basically, this is the trend, you know, going all the way back to the Spanish. Uh, the, what what is it here, Van Halen? Yeah, you get you, going back like to the early 1300s here, uh, and as you can see, you know, the this is yield curve, uh, you know, the yield curve of uh, you know borrowing currency <laughs> throughout history. Look at this, Tim. 
uh, you know, <laughs> it's really trending down. Of course, this peak here is the the top of the uh, uh, you know savings and loan crisis where uh, like, like eighty one, you know, eighty two. Yeah, I peaked out at eighteen. My my parents actually borrowed uh, for their house eighteen percent when they in eighty four in Norway when they uh, they borrowed currency. So it's pretty insane. Uh, but yeah, as you can see here, you know, it's like a slow down sloping trend, you know, throughout history. <laughs> and as we've in, invented more and more technology, you know, it's easier and easier to, you know, slush that currency around and create more of it faster than ever. Uh, so it's interesting. You well, know, and, like the, and along the time horizon, the fiat money finds its natural intrinsic value of zero. So, I mean, yeah. that's where things are going. And, and actually... Uh, you remember you were on Kirk Chisholm's podcast, the uh, Money Tree podcast. Yeah. I, I'm not sure when it was, maybe, maybe I don't know, like a while ago, nine, ten months. And I believe that that was the last time they had me on there as well, because I was uh, staunchly defending you a little bit, a little bit too much in their opinion. And anyways, they just had on Paul Rosenberg as another guest, and uh, you know he's a you know the crypto hippie. He's a guy that thinks you know a lot like us and a lot like our. Listeners, I want to call them readers because of uh, Sam Tripoli podcast where he calls his <laughs> listeners readers because they messed up once. I think that's hilarious. I'm, I'm yeah, cash daddies. Yeah, but um, but yeah, what, what was I just saying? Oh, man, I just got distracted looking around. So you're talking but, about uh, Kurt Chisholm. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So, so, so then these so they, yeah, these two, you know, one was a Forbes columnist and another, you know, lives in San Francisco. And you, know, you can already tell where this is going. And so they were just, you know, mentioned Basically, this is going to be a highlight reel type episode once it comes out. So I can't wait till hopefully they didn't edit me too much in there. Hopefully it all comes out. But uh, but yeah, where I was going with this is that basically uh, at one point she was trying to, one of the commenters was trying to say, oh yeah, well, history always repeats itself. And this was as a, basically as a something saying that Bitcoin's going to zero. I'm like, well, yeah, history always repeats itself that every fiat currency is always going to zero. So thank you for reminding us of that. And like the more, you know, fiat currency that's printed, the more likelihood that it's eventually going to go to zero on a long enough time horizon. Now it could temporarily get stronger as people do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, you know, that's just sort of, you know, human nature yeah, but, is what always happens. Or, but if you look at today's, that would be temporary. Be, be temporary yeah. yeah. But if you, if you look at today's like behavior from the central bankers, there's a zero chance of it strengthening really uh, at all to, against anything of real value, unfortunately, because they are uh, adamant to you know, put in and buy every single asset that is collapsing in value uh, to prop it up again. Uh, that's been shown, you know, by their balance sheet. If you like, here I can show share uh, share you the their balance sheet here uh, with everybody for a second, so you can actually see um, how much you know the the Federal Reserve has been you know buying of different assets. Uh, let's see here. I gotta find it though. Where did I put it now? Oh, here. So here, if we go in here, uh, I'm going to go down to their balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet, uh, which is right here. So as you can see, they've been buying, you know, and, and continues to go up here. They're, they continue to do quantitative easing right now, Tim. Uh, and it's actually like going up quite fast. Like if you look at the bottom, like it was all the way down. Uh, this was in uh, September of uh, last year. Uh, we were all the way down at 692. 6.92 trillion uh, that they held. They peaked out at 7.16, but then they've been buying again. Uh, and as you can see, uh, you know, it's almost like this little peak down here. Like this is the last 2008 crisis. As you can see here, you know, there's a buy up here again, up to the to the new levels. But what you're seeing here is very different, Tim. Like look at how rapid this is. 
uh, as you can see here, you know, you're looking at the peak here, like, and then it kind of flattened for a very long time, like. Several well, the other thing, years. the other thing, we're not that people aren't stealing. So when it does flatten out, in that's like 2014, around October 2014. What, what the story that's not being told is that's when all the other central banks around the world started going nuts around October 2014. So even though the, it was like a hot potato, where even though the Federal Reserve wasn't uh, necessarily the one that was printing the money at the time, it was the other banks, and now it's just every single bank. And you know, I said, I'm not sure if you sent this to me or if it's just on my computer right now. But there was, uh, I think, last week there was some sort of hearing where Paul and uh, Janet Yellen were both on on stage at the same time and downplaying the risk yep. of as Paul downplays inflation risk yeah, as Yellen foreshadowed future spending. Yep, boom, right there. And uh, and basically, yeah, I mean, it goes on to say that basically, you know, our our best view is that the effect on inflation will be neither particularly large nor persistent. And this is uh, Jerome Powell and, you know, basically Yellen's saying the same thing and they're sort of echoing Mario Draghi by saying, you know, they're willing to go all in and sort of do whatever it takes type atmosphere. So you guys remember like Mario Draghi was the European Central Bank head who I think it was probably around like 2013, 2014-ish, you know, basically said that they're going to be going all in. Now he's the crime minister of, uh, of Italy. So, you know. My people over there uh, definitely are not doing me proud having Mario Draghi as and, their prime uh, uh, minister. Yeah, and talking about more currency creation here, look at this uh, article here, which is, of course, uh, who probably will replace, uh, you know, Jerome Powell when he could potentially leave. I don't think he, I don't think any uh, central banker wants uh, longer than their actual physical term <laughs> because it's like a. I, mean, I think I don't. Know, I think Paul might. Yeah. I think he might get nominated again by Biden. But yeah, no, that is a good yeah. point you bring up because they're all basically on this. Uh, no one wants to go down with the ship, and they're all on this. Uh, you know, certain. You know, ex, there's a certain expiration. I mean, I'm sort of surprised that Janet Yellen made it out of Dodge without something blowing up on her. I mean, so I mean, and we're talking the economy, What's, not. And- yeah, and she said that we're never going to have a financial crisis in our lifetime. Uh, so I guess she, she blamed that on like a, like a UTI infection or something. Oh, so no, that was that was there. me. That was me and uh, Josh making that conclusion. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, yeah because, because actually people like ladies, when they get it uh, in an older age, they actually could get delusional. Uh, and it happened to my mother-in-law, actually, uh, where she got a little bit delusional from it. So you're just, you know, joking around that, you uh, uh, when she said it, you know, and at the same time, she, <laughs> so we just, you know, made a fuck. We were trying to poke fun at it, the of the insanity that's going on, right? So, uh, but here again, you know, Lael Brainard, uh, Brainard is, uh, of course, a current U.S. Federal Reserve uh, governor, but she might be the one that could take over. Uh, but she uh, wants to create a new financial stability climate committee, uh, and this is another trend, you know to be able to spend a ton of more money to, you know, blames, uh, blame an outcome on something. I just, just did a recent rant uh, kind of about what she's talking about here, that we're just going to blame something and then we're going to print atrocious amounts of currency uh, into existence. And um, I, I think this is the that's next... basically what Klaus yeah. Schwab's book, I mean, that's what Klaus yeah. uh, Anal Schwab's book, you know, talks about, yeah. is basically using this as a great reset to restate set it in a more sustainable type fashion which is funny because a lot of you know people that we know or and people even like us and hopefully me in the very near near future are either homesteading or thinking about homesteading or, or doing things or living off grid and it's funny that we're sort of demonized as the bad guys when 
in actuality, we're the ones who are actually living more sustainable lives than pretty much, uh, you know, a lot of the other public, especially, you know, your average, you know, fake progressive, fake liberal that's uh, that's out there. But one thing, I sent this over to you on uh, Signal just a little bit ago, and it was Fed's Powell would pursue digital currency only with congressional support. And then if you take a look actually at the article, yeah. and of course, they're at the, they're at the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, but we would not proceed without support from Congress. And the passage of any needed authorizing laws, Paul said, when asked at a Bank of International Settlements conference whether it would even be legal for the Fed to create a digital currency. And you know they're, collapsing, they're collaborating with MIT's uh, digital currency initiative, focusing on the capabilities and limitations of technologies, not, on, not an attempt to create a prototype. Let's just try to build the basis and see what we can learn. So you know it's just a very cute type statement of let's just see what we can learn. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, what is, I mean, oh, we'll just see what Congress has to say about it. Well, the thing is, when you, when they have all the money and they can just, you know, dole out, you know, $4 trillion for a new infrastructure plan, I mean, how hard is it to buy off Congress? I mean, oh, we're, we're going to, I mean, they didn't see what Congress would say when they had, uh, you know, BlackRock acting as a middleman to then buy up all the corporate debt through these special purpose vehicles yeah. that was, you know, basically illegal, in my opinion. You know, I didn't see any of them going to Congress for congressional support. Oh, they were getting, yeah, they, they were getting, or... yeah, they were getting paid um, a substantial amount. I I forgot what it was, but we we did. I think we did show at one point the actual contract because I dug it up from the Fed's website, uh, and yeah, 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 and they were getting paid x like x percentage of every single you know trade. <laughs> so it was it was great getting rid of toxic sludge. <laughs> You basically get paid for it. That's fantastic. You know, it's the best I, problem. I yeah. can't tell you how many smart people that I mean, I've, I mean, I've talked to lots of smart people, but the people who aren't necessarily in this, uh, you know, this arena that you know we're in and our listeners are in, I always want to call them readers that, that they're in, but they, uh, most people have not heard about central bank digital currencies who are out there. Yeah. Like if you, I don't care if you're talking to former CFOs or treasurers or is very high Q individuals, like almost nobody is like not on anybody's radar. Like they've, I mean, if you're in the crypto space, you know, you probably have heard of it or you, you know, happen to be within five feet of me at any point, you know, throughout the day, you know, probably hear of it or John, but, you know, aside from that, there's really not really a huge appetite of people talking about this. And then I really do think it's one of the biggest stories that's out there because it's coming. And another article I'd sent you, and I don't even have it up right now. I'm trying to find it. It's from louvrockwell.com. And it's talking about how IBM is now partnering with Moderna for a COVID reset. And, and basically, you know, it's talking about how the health passports are, you know, eventually become mandatory. And that's going to be uh, integrated into IBM Watson's, you know, blockchain. Yeah. And so it's funny because you mentioned IBM, or I mentioned IBM Watson. So I, I don't listen, I don't watch any TV, you know, but I'm here with my grandparents and they've got the TV on. And I heard an ad about Watson. And for whatever reason, it just absolutely triggered me. And I went into like this whole rant. I wish I would have even filmed it because what people don't know, and not to make like a huge aside on this, but Watson was the, his name is Dr. Thomas Watson. Uh, when he died, he gave all his money to the Nazis. Uh, the IBM tolerance machine was the one that was designed to um, basically categorize Jews and seeing which ones should be worked, which ones should be put to death, so on and so forth. You know, very, very nice guy, obviously. And then, um, and then Hitler then created the double iron eagle cross, which was sort of like their version of the you know Medal of Freedom award. And I think he even created like that as a medal higher than any other medal. And so now you have the VA's healthcare system and you have these health passports trying to get integrated in with Watson. 
when Watson was an actual Nazi. And then you get tied into, oh, well, then Bill Gates' mother was on the board of IBM that basically gave him the, you know, the billions of dollars and, and all the resources and like a thousand people to go help create Microsoft. And then he didn't really even create Microsoft. He stole it from this other guy named Gary Ferdahl. And that gets into a whole nother story. But it's funny like how all this stuff, is, you know, eventually gets tied together. Um, and, and now this is the first time I've seen where they've tried partnering with Moderna to uh and they're like you know in certain places and one of the reasons i'm here is that the article does talk about how vaccine passes are rolling out in new york right now and at least in new york city is that my family is from uh, upstate new york and so right now you know a few of them are down here in florida so i'm like you know what i'll go and visit you guys while you're in florida because i don't really feel like going back to uh you know that communist regime of uh of new york anytime soon uh, at least until they get rid of all these you know quarantines and uh well, yeah that's nonsense. Yeah, see, that's the thing, Tim. It's what's interesting is here in Canada, they are like, oh, we're gonna on the near foreseeable future, we're gonna have the U.S. Canada border closed. Like, how long did it keep that closed, and how long are you gonna actually keep this going without completely eviscerating the the to- uh, the whole economy? And we're not talking about the gigantic corporations that get bailed out, you know, by the central bank here in Canada. Actually, our central bank has now started to buy derivatives. Uh, I haven't been able to look at the actual details on that, but they bought 8.6 billion so far in, in about three months span, uh, which is uh, doesn't sound like much for Americans <laughs> if you know the Fed's balance sheet, but it's actually quite substantial uh, for the uh, our current balance sheet because it's uh, over one percent of the balance sheet is now derivatives uh, that has been bought because. Uh, me and Josh, we did a lot of videos on uh, different things. We we did a video on the biggest mortgage lender, uh, home I'm capital. I'm sure they're just hedging like corn wheat futures. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, we did we did a uh, video. This is interesting, Tim. Uh, I don't know if you heard this one, but Home Capital Group was a, uh, one of the biggest mortgage lenders in Canada. It got uh, you know basically on the verge of collapse. As I was finishing my books, I put a little chapter just about Home Capital Group in there. And uh, Papa Buffett came out and uh, he bailed, uh, bailed them out 13 billion. What is more interesting is that nobody covered us. Uh, I think me and Josh were basically one of the few, there, there was a mainstream media outlet in Canada that did cover it, uh, but they didn't cover it in a way that, to ask the question because uh, about, I think it was like five, six months after now, uh, this whole collapse in Home Capital Group, uh, they did a uh, mortgage-backed security, AAA rated issue <laughs> uh, of the debt, uh, of course, uh, like of all these mortgages that they had on, on the books. So it's just very interesting, isn't it, Tim, how they got bailed out and then suddenly they come out with a, you know, AAA rated uh, mortgage-backed, uh, you know, security <laughs> right, right after uh, they were bailed out by Buffett. Uh, of course, Buffett is, you know, uh, he took over Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo is probably one of the most corrupted banks in the world. Like, I, I, I don't remember how many times me and Josh, you know, covered anything from auto uh, insurance fraud to, you know, all the bank, fake bank accounts. Remember that whole kerfuffle? Uh, they, they did a wide array of other things as well, but it was just like uh, rotten to its core. And it was signing funny. up people for credit cards who never asked for oh, credit yeah, cards. That, yeah, and then Papa Buffett is there. It's like, you naughty boys. In there. Meanwhile, he was the one that bought it. And that's what. Yeah, <laughs> it's hilarious. But uh, you know, banks are banksters are very corrupt. They've been that throughout 
the whole history of banking. It, there's never been a time throughout history where they haven't gotten into uh, corrupt behavior because when you create money out of thin air, you will get corrupt behavior when you could do that. Like there's like human psychology is just surround like can grasp with that or have an unlimited supply of anything and they just can't be able to control that uh desire to create more of it uh it's just like a uh you know detriment uh, that we have when we we try to create a currency uh, and a medium of exchange with the best intentions throughout history but every single time we screw it up <laughs> but i think bitcoin yeah, you know, a, very interesting a, a going big... back yeah to bitcoin is bitcoin is a very interesting thing because it has a fixed supply in 2100 now of course you know over hundreds of years span uh bitcoin 21, 21 million yeah 21 million and bitcoin but gotta remember a lot of them are gone they might be just 18 million right so there's even probably a lot less uh, i think there's the estimates that up to four have been lost yeah which four is, million so. yeah exactly so like you're looking at like that's a very damn scarce asset and then and take it then take a look at how many people are just long-term just hold holding uh or hobbling and then you do I mean obviously you get people who bought in at five cents that want to go cash out a few million bucks go buy a dream home and you know basically yeah. have their fu life of hey we can but they still want to keep their hundreds of Bitcoin or thousands of Bitcoin. And they're, they're selling because, you know, they want to, you know, diversify and, you know, actually live a life. And, and, but. Well, that's who you talk to, isn't it, Tim? Like you talk to a lot of those guys. Yeah. These are, I mean, so I do have a window into this. And so they're not selling because they think it's going to zero or it's, I mean, a lot of them think it's, you know, Hey, it's going to go to like a million bucks, but, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, you know what? We got it enough. Now we want to, you know, cash out a little bit. We want to do so in a, you know, tax advantage way. And that's a whole other yeah. thing right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're taking a look at Bitcoin's just under 57,000 right now. And, you know, I see, you know, certain people like, oh, Bitcoin's crashing. I think it was 54,000 uh, at one point over the weekend. But, uh, you know, and to me, I, I feel like you're not going to see as those big 80% drops in the near future, because you're going to see essentially, and now and a lot of people know, I was the guy that was telling everybody a year ago, about or 13 months ago that there was going to be an 80% drop in Bitcoin next time there was a financial crisis. And you were there front row taping that presentation or taping that Q&A session where yep. I said, I think next time there's a financial crisis, Bitcoin would go down by probably 80% because it's a risk asset. And so I'm not just somebody just, you know, always touting this one narrative. And so things changed. And the thing that's changed is that now you've got major institutions looking to buy these, these dips. And so, you know, absent, you know, major institutions, you know, there probably would be a, it would have, you probably would have had another major, 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 you know, correction yeah. already would have happened between now and the last, you know, four well, months. But we're not seeing that because you have these major institutions looking in and every time it goes down, you know, two, three, four, five, six thousand bucks, they're looking at, you know, buying these, buying these dips. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 and the stuff they're buying, and the stuff they're buying, you know, at, you know, obviously there's some traders and there's people who are, I mean, a lot of traders, but we have people who are just buying and just holding on to it. And then they're yeah. sucking that supply out. So now there's less supply, uh, you know, for the other general public when they eventually, you know, realize that they should have been listening to us a while ago. Well, yeah, let's so take a look at this chart, right? Like everybody's screaming bubble, bubble. Uh, and it makes sense if you look at this chart. But if you do uh, go into the logarithmic chart, and uh, this also brings us back to another chart that uh, I'll put up in, in a little bit. But as you could see here, you know, 
we 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 haven't moved the fully up yet. Uh, I think there's uh, more to come. You know, like at least a hundred thousand level. Tim uh, looks within. Like if you look at the moves uh, in between, you know, every uh, every time you know it goes down and then comes back up again. Uh, so it's definitely uh, hasn't seen you know the highs yet. A and it's not like just looking at this chart and predicting it that way is also kind of false because what you're doing is you're actually like looking at it in a perspective of a technical trader, uh, but you're not looking at it at a perspective of the trillions of dollars uh, that are sitting on the fence, you know, looking at this, uh, you know, the apples, the uh, Walmart, whoever it is that, you know, sitting on tons of cash on their balance sheet, but with inflation, that cash is going to get this uh, decimated in value. So they need to park it somewhere where it's actually going to have, uh, be able to protect their, uh, you know, wealth and their balance sheet. And so I think a lot of more uh, corporations will do what, you know, MicroStrategies and MicroSailor did uh, was to protect his, his business, was to go in, you know, uh, a, a lot of times, like actually the richest guy in Norway, Schellingeröcke, uh, he actually... Uh, created a holding company now that fully invests tons in, in crypto, and he bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin. I think it was like uh, a well, billion. Well, it's hard to be the yeah. first guy. I mean, it's hard to be the first yeah. guy doing something. It's hard to be the second guy doing something. But you know, if you're the third or fourth or fifth, and you know, S and P 500 type company, yeah, it takes less courage at that point. And so, with you know, so hats off to Michael Saylor. And if anyone has any contacts to Michael Saylor to get uh, you know him on the Tim and John show, that would be excellent because you know I think. When it comes to yeah. people that are very well spoken and who sort of get it, and and it also helps that he's you know newer in the space and newer in the this line of thinking in terms of you know what's going on with the you know debt markets and the whole monetary system because the average person is just not thinking about the monetary system on a on a you know on a daily basis and so I mean because they're not like us because that's you know that's that's what you have that's what you have the Tim and John show for. Yeah, but you know when you have someone like Michael Saylor who really gets it, I think that he's probably his videos are probably one of the best things to send to maybe someone that's not really initiated into uh, the whole greater Bitcoin ecosystem, and or just have somebody start off with like, hey, just buy fifty bucks worth. I mean, what's fifty dollars worth if you're looking to? Yeah, get you, into you don't have to buy a whole damn coin. <laughs> like, come on, that's a, that's that whole thought and behavior is like, oh, I want to buy one. I need to hold a unit or something. You could fractionalize Bitcoin. You could create, like, you could rewrite the algorithm to fractionalize into 32 zeros behind the comma or 64 zeros behind the comma if Bitcoin becomes extremely overloaded in value because then it's easier to. So it's infinitely divisible. You know, the goal is well, not that Bitcoin be becomes over overvalued. It's, 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 well, I mean, that can happen too, obviously, in, in short. The fiat has become undervalued, yeah. Yeah, and it, okay. exactly. But if you go and take a look at, you know, let's let's say that we had a world where Bitcoin only exists. Well, now we have a stable, a way stable, more stable currency than anything else that we've ever seen in history. Uh, of course, banksters, uh, governments, they don't want that. They don't want a stable currency. They don't want something that could hold its purchasing power. Think well, about where our world would be. Yeah, but Tim, sorry to interrupt you. Think about where our world would be if we had a stable currency that actually people could get paid, you know, and, uh, one thing, uh, like, you know, never have a pay raise for 20 years and still have the same, about the same purchasing power. That's pretty, pretty uh, incredible. Uh, 
that has never really well, happened. So that brings though. back to another point of no one ever talks about the money itself. I mean, we do, but you know, but when you take a look at you know 1964, I think the minimum wage was. Hopefully, guys can hear there's somebody with a power saw behind me. But in 1964, I believe the minimum wage was a dollar six. I think it was a dollar twenty-five. So expressed another way, that was five quarters. And so those quarters had real silver or like 90% silver back then. And so, I mean, you're taking a look at somewhere of, you know, over 30, I mean, depending on if you're looking at the spot price of silver or the actual, you know, premium, you get over it. I mean, you're looking at somewhere in the $30 range. And so the minimum wage was really expressed in silver was closer to $30 an hour back in 1964 at $1.25. And it's the money that's lost its value. And this is the concept where if this is, you know, one of your first times checking us out or you, you know, haven't really ever explored that subject before. It's really one of the biggest things you need to wrap your mind around. And, it, and it's something where I think that it's a coalescing issue that if we could sort of impart to, uh, you know, millennials and people, you know, Bernie Sanders bros and the generation below us to yeah. I forgot what they're called Gen Z. And I mean, if we can impart to them, like, listen, you know, we get your, your plight and we get your understand, we get, you know, where you're coming from on this, but it's not wait, if you're going to make the minimum wage 15 bucks an hour, why don't you just make it a hundred dollars an hour? I mean, there's really, if you're just going to pull a number out of that, out of the air. And yeah. the problem is it's the money itself. And that's something that I think can't be overstated enough. And there's really, in my opinion, sort of the root cause of almost every problem. I mean, you, I mean, obviously you can get into, you know, spirituality and other shit where stuff is going yeah. and, you know, go down that road too. And in, in terms of, you know, what's really the problem with everything, but you know, it's uh you know, if you believe in good, then I guess you have to believe in evil. And if there was evil, you know, what would they be doing? They'd be, you know, they would be taking over different airwaves and trying to program you and get you to get sway public opinion to think of one certain thing. And so I don't get how all these leftists who hate all the corporations or hate all the big money type people yeah. who then get behind all the messaging that the entire system wants to push because <laughs> yeah, because they don't have a clue about like. money. Yeah. That's that's the unfortunate yeah, thing. Tim, this is look at this like this is a great uh, chart here because um, we're looking at like the money creation uh, versus the medium income. This is very interesting. So let's take a look at how much uh, you know. I I don't like to, I shouldn't call it money. I know that uh, uh, Mike Maloney would be very angry if he heard that. So it's currency uh, units in supply. But as you can see here, Tim, you can see the US M2 money supply. Uh, you could see it back in uh, 2000. This is a great measure here. Uh, it was 4.7. So let's say it was five. Let's say it's gone up about five, uh, no, four, uh, 400%, right? Well, let's look at the medium income. Uh, that has not gone up 400%. That has been pretty yeah, stagnant. I, I, I almost, it's up almost, like almost, five, yeah, almost 500%. Yeah, it's up 10%. Uh, meanwhile, the money supply is up 500%. So you could see the huge distortions. Not that p that makes sense to have such a massive increase in, in income, but you definitely need a lot more than just uh, uh, three percent. What is it? Uh, 10%? Yeah, increase uh, in your salary over you know 20 years. Uh, that is detrimental. And because it's not keeping up to the uh, money supply and real inflation, not the CPI that you're watching, you know, that the academics put out because that's highly, and Tim has actually created a little booklet on that, you know, describing in great detail how they manipulate those numbers. And I, I've kind of 
talked about you know the real estate thing there was actually an expert on cpi on real vision that i was listening to he got actually angry that we use uh real estate because it doesn't make sense to have real estate in there meanwhile in canada that is uh, about 75 to 80 percent of of uh, like of uh, 70 70 percent of the population uses uh, 70 to 80 percent of their total income to pay for real estate related costs so it's like that we shouldn't have that as a part in canada we do it says that it's 25.6 percent but the real number is around 70 to 80 percent so it's a quite a huge distortion in cpi there if they want to actually look at the real number and it's not even the average of all the provinces even uh, but you shouldn't average the provinces because in where like 50, 60, 70% of the population live, like you're looking at 70, 80% and not, you know, 30, 40% that it is in smaller provinces. So again, is that distortion? Is that constant? You know, I talk to my mom all the time uh, about like, she's like, oh, my salary went up. But then I was like, well, let's take a look at it. Uh, you know, how much has your cost gone up this year? And sure enough, you know, ate up more than the salary. You know, the costs are going up higher. The rent is going up higher. Norway is in a exalted bubble. Like even the central bank is talking about bubble now uh, in, in Norway. Uh, so all this currency printing, all this like keeping interest rates at zero, all that it's creating is an epic bubble that we've never seen before. And, and again, it goes back to that 700 year chart of interest rates, Tim, you know, the, the cost of currency to borrow it. Uh, it's just that record lows right now. It's never, ever, ever in history been this low. Uh, and they're going to go negative. They have to, right, Tim? And, and they have to implement these central bank digital currencies to take away our possibility to pull our money out of the bank. Because if we pull, uh, pull our money out of the bank, well, uh, the, the bank is done very quickly uh, because they don't have uh, nowhere near the capital. Uh, actually, you're muted, Tim. Yeah, there's uh, some some nice uh, like reggae music behind right. me. I didn't want it to uh, affect <laughs> oh. you guys, but I mean, but, but, I mean, once they have this the central bank digital currency, at that point they can say, hey, you know, you're not allowed to take money from fiat to go into Bitcoin, which then would yeah. probably make Bitcoin go up even more. But yeah. I mean, that's where or it's like, hey, since it's tracked, like, hey, you're not allowed to buy more than a thousand dollars at a time, or th- it'll probably start at like five thousand or three thousand. And then they'll ratchet things, uh, you know, tighter and tighter and tighter. And so, and and they've already floated out the idea of not being able to. Uh, let, let's say if if I take three thousand dollars off Coinbase, they want to have it where now the receiving wallet has to be KYC, know your customer, in order to just move money off of that uh, exchange. What? And and that's probably yeah. going to be coming within the next, I would guess, the next one to three years. I could see that. Well, it has uh, to, I yeah, see but... that rolling out. Because they're in real deep trouble. Uh, also, another thing that I thought of to do that, Tim, is that we could actually like go uh, and create the other currencies, of course, and Bitcoin as well, that people can mine themselves uh, on different outlets uh, and ways that they could, you know, be able to mine these currencies. Uh, and then we could actually, uh, you know, directly earn that currency and then spread it out and have a separate currency running in the system outside of the central bank digital currency if they go that way. That's just a thought that came into my mind that you can do it. And of course, it's a little pricey to buy those fancy miners, but if you actually created a 
I know there's certain people trying to create something that's easily more easily mineable for every for the general population. If you did that, like now, uh, everybody could get a piece of that currency and start using it, and then circumvent those central bank digital currencies. Or it could go the way of uh, the Ecuadorian central bank uh, digital currency, which is, was implemented in 2014 and then failed in 2018 because nobody uh, started using it. Uh, let's educate enough people, Tim, you know, to, uh, to have people not wanting to be a part of that central bank digital currency. But what I'm worried, and this is where Simon Dixon explained to me, and I had a good conversation with him about how do you want to put it back? Just do you want to put it back just on us, you and I, for uh, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm uh, yeah, of course, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 interesting because uh, what he thinks that could happen to him is that they would just let the banking system collapse and then say, like, well, if you want your money back, your currency back. Uh, you could come over to the new central bank digital currency and get everything back, or you could lose everything uh, that you had in your bank. It's your choice. You know, if you want to, uh, you know, have any currency left of what you saved in used dollars, Canadian dollars, whatever, uh, you know, you got to come over here and, and uh, become part of the slave grid. <laughs> yeah, we just started up the, uh, the funny the guy wasn't sawing the entire time, and as soon as you like paused for me to jump in, <laughs> we got uh, a power saw guy in the background. But yeah, one thing I yeah. just one thing I just saw like two seconds ago flash across Doc of Finance is inflation is a real threat. Former White House Chief of Staff, and this is Mick, Mick Mulvaney. And it's funny how you know I didn't hear a single you know worry about you know spending too much money when Trump was in there. Well, but now, well, my, you know, Michael Burry though. Like Michael Burry came out, you know, the guy that uh, was yeah, the guy behind the bed on the big, big shore. He actually came out and is predicting hyperinflation right now. Uh, so. I mean, on a long enough time horizon, that is almost certainty. Oh, but, on, uh, but even yeah. if but the thing is, even if you're at like five or 10, 10 is a lot. So, I mean, even yeah. if you have, even if you have five uh, in like, by their own BS measured terms, I mean, that would be enough to basically bankrupt anyone that was just sitting in cash or bankrupt people that were in bonds. Or, I mean, it's, it's not going to be a very good time for about 95% of people who are out there, but hopefully, you know, people listening to us would be able to get ahead of themselves. I do want to, you know, you know, probably wrap it up soon because I am in a vacation destination and want to be able to take advantage of, I got to do a little more work here too. But Yeah, right before we end, I, I talking about inflation, you know, here here's the, the heavy inflators right now that are heading for collapse. <laughs> Look at these guys. Uh, you know, the inflation is in, in Venezuela, 2,665. That's official inflation. There's like, it's collapsed already. Again, this is their second uh, currency that they've collapsed now, which is the Bolivar Soberano, the old one in 2018. Hyperinflation was the Fuerte. Uh, Sudan is collapsing. <laughs> Uh, Zimbabwe's currency <laughs> Zimbabwe. you know it's so funny Tim uh, I got a, just a quick point on Zimbabwe is that they actually uh, issued uh, you know they before they issued their new Zim dollar Tim what they did is they actually re-monetized re the, the old ones uh, the old Zim dollar and then let people like send them in uh, to get US dollars uh, so they have I think it was like 47 billion dollars worth of Zim dollars would give you uh, six seven dollars or something it was uh but, but that's what they did but then, a lot. 
Yeah, but then what they did after that, Tim, is uh, after they gave the people back and they got rid of the old hyperinflated currency, it's like, yeah, we removed the evidence. <laughs> now we're going <laughs> to create a new currency and look where it's at already. It's at 321%. Lebanon is on the verge of collapse. Suriname, Iran, uh, Sudan, uh, Argentina, all of them are you know on the 40% inflation. That's insane, right? Uh, Angola is a serial uh, hyperinflator as well. Turkey is on the verge here. Like that's one of the G20 countries in the world. Like they're on the verge. That's that will have big ramifications. That actually uh, brings me back here uh, to that the Turkish, uh, uh, you know, downgrade uh, right now that happened uh, because he just uh, type Erdogan actually uh, Recep type Erdogan actually uh, fired his uh, second central banker Tim. <laughs> in about five years so it's not going too well over in 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 turkey with with their currency even though like they're such a big country so for them to be at 15 percent in inflation is pretty insane same with nigeria nigeria is actually tim i'm actually working on a guy that has a african uh called paxful uh an african uh crypto exchange and trying to set up an interview potentially with him he's been on max kaiser a lot uh, very smart guy. I, I would like to like bring it to, forward to people because we had actually a couple of our, our friends that are on our Discord chat being in Africa lately and talking about different things uh, that are happening there. But I think it would be great to put that on the forefront because I think Africa is uh, on the verge of something big adopting crypto tip. Yeah, I'm trying to take a look at the Zimbabwe stock market and it was... Yeah, so going back to January 2020, it looked like it was 400, yep. and today is at 8,782. And so when people ask me about the market crashing, it's more, uh, I, I honestly think that the yeah, that there's only so far the market can go down, like maybe 20, 30, 40% in a, in a short amount of time, and then the money printing will then make it go back up, which is you know exactly what we're seeing in yeah some place like Venezuela where so, the stock market was. And that's why we're talking about Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe what the heck happened? You know, Tim, within a look at this. What the heck happened in Venezuela? Look at this. They had I think they had the currency reset there. Did they just like finish their second currency in three years? Like look at this. It's like down at twenty six hundred. Yeah, so for people, maybe do you want to explain that for people who are listening and, and aren't yeah. watching the uh, screen right now? Yeah, so this is the Venezuelan stock market, the Caracas Stock Exchange. I'm going to pull it out on a larger scale because that actually, a 10 year maybe. Yeah, here we go. So this is the first currency that collapsed the Bolivar Soberano. And, and you can see like it went up to like from the, the bottom here. Let's see if can you can even pull down it. It's really hard to get those numbers at the bottom here. And, and actually, I, you know, it's like right all here. Can we get a number? Like it's, <laughs> I can't really get the number, but it's like really low, right? Like you're looking at probably in the 2000s in number, but then it went all the way up because they hyperinflated their currency to 500, no, 400, almost 500,000 points, uh, daring index. But look at this one, Tim. They're just like, let's, let's just like the last hyperinflation was nothing. Let's just go all in here. Look at this one. Like they went all the way up to two point, what is it? Like seven, yeah, almost three million uh, this time. And that's even higher, you know, way higher than the last one that was at around 500,000. So that's like, uh, what is it? 600% higher than it was last time. Uh, 
and, and then now it's down. So I got to do some research. Like maybe that's a good thing for our uh, next Tim and John show that we're going to do uh, on what's happening there. Because I know that they just recently issued 100 million, uh, no, 1 million uh, Boulevard Soberano bills. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Because uh, you're seeing like suddenly it's reset down to this. So uh, I'll do some more research and see what's going on there. But I, I wouldn't put it past them that their currency collapsed because any hyperinflated currency uh, gets destroyed within a year, uh, usually even less, like six months, because the trust, when trust disappears from any medium of exchange, it becomes worthless pretty quick because nobody uses it. Uh, and, and in the form of government currencies, they could just got to print all, uh, oblivious yeah, amounts. That's a good title yeah. of the show. It becomes worthless pretty quick because nobody uses it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, this is uh, just one last thing before we uh, before I let you go, Tim, because I, I just, you know, I, I was driving the other day and I've been driving past this thing without thinking about it for a very long time. But actually, it's like, oh, shit, I, I got to go and take a picture of this. So let me just share the screen because uh, this is where the economy is heading uh, to the false creek. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is exactly is that right next to uh, is that right next to Shit's Creek. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's uh, Shit's Creek is uh, supposedly in Saskatchewan, right? And uh, this is in Manitoba. <laughs> yeah, after you've been in Shit's Creek, you're heading to the Falls Creek. So the yeah, I, I just thought it was a funny, uh, funny way to end our end our show today, Tim. Uh, oh, this cool. is just Anyways, totally insane. Like the the world that we live in, just mass amounts of manipulation, and they're gonna have to continue on it because they put themselves in a corner that they never can get out of without uh, continuing this uh, Ponzi scheme. It's exactly what it is. One gigantic Ponzi scheme. Anyways, thank you for everyone who's yeah. listened to us, watched us. You guys can go uh, subscribe to Go to timandjohnshow.com. All the ways to subscribe to us, preferably not on YouTube. But if you are subscribed on YouTube, we uh, do. Or if you're not subscribed to YouTube, we, you know, yeah. and if that's how you're watching us, you know, please subscribe there too. It just helps out with the algorithm. And we're approaching 3,000. Got 50 more left to 3,000, and then, uh, you know, doing well on the on the Discord and everywhere else. And we're probably looking at some alternatives to that. But anyways, thank you guys so much. Uh, this is Tempicho from coming from West Palm Beach. Next time I'll probably be back back in Phoenix. But anyways, John Styson from uh, the Falls Creek, and uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk to you guys later. Sounds good. Have a good one, guys.